You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. superstition that hates mankind. Another guy named Pliny says they are inflexible, obstinate, and contumacious. And then finally we have Lucian, the poet, who says they are poor wretches who worship a cult leader crucified in Palestine. So obviously they were not viewed very highly. They were maligned for their faith. That's what's going on. Uh, in these churches that Peter's writing to. And to some extent, the tide is turning today in our culture, and I would say we're moving towards that. So don't be surprised if you experience things uh, similar to that. For us, it would be more like we're irrational, we're bigoted, we're abusive, we're hateful, uh, we're on the wrong side of history, and on and on and on. But we're gonna hear more of that. And um, in a lot of ways, uh, we hate that. Nobody likes to be looked down upon or insulted, but Peter would say, Like, you're in your sweet spot. That's right where the church should be. The church is at its best when the church is an elect exile. That's the the phrase that Peter uses. He calls us uh, elect, which is like chosen, chosen by God, but also exiles. So um, I want to look at that, that the church should live as people chosen by God and therefore in exile. No matter what land we're in, we're always considered exiles. But then we do that uh, in order to have hope. Because when you're in exile in a foreign land, you're, you're hoping to go back to your homeland. So we are exiles in this world, no matter what culture we're in, and we are called to have hope and spread that hope. So those two points, uh, exile and then hope. First of all, We're exiles. Verse 1, elect exiles of the dispersion. I'm going to come back to this over and over throughout the sermon series because in many ways that is the identity that Peter wants you to have about yourselves. Um, Interestingly, these are all non-Jewish people that he's writing to, almost all of them. And yet he is drawing them into the story of Israel because we know that um, the dispersion was a reference to what happened when Israel was basically... uh, destroyed by the Babylonians. They were scattered to the winds. The temple was pulverized. 
and many of the uh, Israelites were taken in captivity to Babylon. And actually they were spread all over, the, all over the world, not just Babylon. Some were taken to Egypt, some were taken towards Rome, Italy. Um, and so Peter is saying to the Turkish Gentiles that he's writing to, you are now part of the Jewish diaspora. You are among these people. Your backstory links to Israel. So you're part of this great story of God. Uh, and he says in verse 9 of chapter 2, you are a chosen race. You're chosen by God to be these exiles. Uh, when God chooses someone to believe in him and brings them to himself, they are at that moment suddenly an exile in America, wherever you are. We, we, be, we become exiles. And the reason that we're exiles, the reason that we're chosen is so that we can be a, a light to the nations. That was Israel's purpose. It was never for themselves. They were not chosen for themselves. They were chosen for the sake of serving others, to be a light to the nations. And so we see in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, you are a chosen race, chosen to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So that's what we're here to do. We're to be a light to the nations. Um, imagine the entire globe uh, goes dark and there's this massive power outage. If you know about what happened a few weeks ago with the oil pipeline, you know what the catastrophe that that was, it was just a very small amount of time to one little thing, this little oil pipeline, and it caused all this disturbance. Imagine the whole world, all the electricity in the whole world goes out. Um, you know, that could happen. And imagine that people start to gather around little campfires. I mean, that's what you'd have to do to create light at night or warmth. You'd have to gather around campfires uh, in some way and create food, um, cooking, light, warmth, all these things. Uh, imagine people start finding each other and these little campfires, these little dots of light start appearing all over the globe from people who light these campfires and, and they invite their neighbors into these camps. In many ways, that was, that was the job of Israel, uh, to offer this light and this warmth to their neighbors. It's the same job we have. We are these people, these, they, they gather around when everything's going dark and everyone's freaking out and we say, come and join us around our little, our little campfire. To, Enjoy our hospitality. That's what the church is. That's what Israel was. And what Israel had that no one else had, and what they prized more than anything else, and I would say it is still the greatest artifact in the whole world, is this amazing little glowing, luminous artifact they would carry around to the people. And that was their present. That was the gift of the Jews to the world. And it just radiated uh, warmth and illumination out of this little tiny object, which again, I would say is by far the most amazing, beautiful little thing that exists in the world. And of course, I'm talking about the Bible. They had these little books, the Jewish scriptures, and they would go around and they would, they would talk about the hope that is spoken of in that little book, in, encouragement about what reality is really, what, is, what God is like, what you're like, what the world that we live in is like. And so think about the construction of the, the Old Testament, this little artifact, this little piece of light and Moses and David and Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and they were, for a thousand years were compiling this little document. And it says in verse 12, Peter says, they were not serving themselves but you, Turkish Gentile churches in Northeast Asia Minor. They were serving you. When they wrote those words down in the Old Testament, those prophecies, they were not writing for themselves. They were writing for you a thousand years later. They were writing those things down to bring light to you to bring light all over the world. And even today, this very thing is happening, 2,000 years later, as 
I am speaking from the scriptures, that same beautiful artifact. It says in verse 10 that the, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, speaking to those particular Christians. And so this book, this little amazing light, that's why we're here. That's why the church exists. Um, we, we are not an interest group. Okay, we're not an interest group fighting for the rights of people like ourselves. Sadly, that is too commonly the case that churches feel like they are this kind of political action committee. And even for a good cause, like a pro-life political action committee, that's not what we are. We're not fighting the culture wars. We're not social justice warriors who are like telling the culture how it should behave. And of course, justice and life are great things to fight for. But we are more like this huge flare that goes up in the night, like a military flare in the dark night, just goes up and explodes. And it says life and justice are coming. You know, we can't bring that, but we proclaim the hope that these things are in fact real and they're coming. Light and justice are realities. And the culture of death is going down and white supremacy is going down. These things will not last because they're part of the empire. And so we proclaim as Aliens and strangers in this world as exiles, elect and chosen by God, we proclaim that there is something on the horizon that's beautiful, that's coming. There's something that's going to happen to this world. And that's what we're here for, to, bring, to be a light, to bring hope to the world. In 1 Peter 2.11, uh, Peter says we are aliens and strangers because we are abstaining from what he calls uh, the desires of the flesh, uh, sensual urges. And that makes us very different is that we abstain from these things. That's part of the way that we are a light is we're different. So imagine some, some, someone from the Bithynia, one of these seven churches, okay, a guy from Bithynia. Just imagine there's a guy named Tychicus or something like that. That was a common name back then. And, and Tychicus used to uh, frequent the Roman baths. And if you know about the Roman baths, they were not a place where you got clean. That's not what they were for. They were more like Phillies, but probably worse than that. So this guy frequents the Roman baths. And then he becomes a Christian, and then he stops going, and his friends begin to make fun of him and tease him. Then they start to get angry with him because he's not changing his patterns of behavior, and finally they malign him, and they say, who do you think you are? You know, do you think you're better than us? And they kind of isolate him, or they push him to the side. They kick him out. You know, that's, that's what it is like to be an alien and a stranger. When you do not participate in the ways of the culture, in the empire system, then you're going to be maligned. You're going to be isolated. And that's why Peter says in verse 6, for a little while you are being grieved by various trials. And they're not being thrown in jail. It was too early for that in church history. That came later. They're not being thrown in jail. They're not being beaten. They're not being crucified. They're simply being ostracized. And he says um, that is what it's like to be an alien or a stranger. A stranger in a strange land. You know, if I go to England and refuse to drink tea, or if you go to Germany and you, you refuse to drink beer, people there think you're crazy. Why are you abstaining from these desires that are good desires? Um, if I do not look at porn in my coworker's cubicle who's invited me to come look at that stuff, people, people are going to think you're crazy. Like, where is this guy from? You know, if, if I'm not sleeping with my partner, people think you're crazy. Um, if... If I refuse to cling to power as a white man, you know, if I give up some rights, if I give up the lust for control, people are going to think you're crazy. If you live in a way that is different from the empire, 
People are going to think you're odd. Ah, you're going to be an exile. You're going to be an alien. You're going to be a stranger. And that's what Paul is saying. If you're not radically different from the culture, you have nothing to offer the world. That's what he's saying to the church. You know, we are of no use to this planet. If we fall into left or right, we are not going to be of any use to this planet. If we're southern or northern or eastern or western, then we are nothing. We have to be always exiled, always strangers. Always aliens. Not of this world. This is not our home. This is not our home. So that's the first point. And the second point is that we are bringing hope from another world. From a world that we have all tasted and seen. If you're a believer, you've seen it before. You've had a flash of the brilliance of the, the coming world. And that's what we come and we proclaim. Again, like a flare in the night. We say there is something coming that is so much greater than anything you have here that you could give up everything for that. And it'd be more than worth it. So verse three, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Uh, to be born again is obviously to have a new kind of life inside of you. We have our biological life, and then we have a new life, born again, a spiritual life. You don't re-enter your mother's womb, a new kind of Holy Spirit generated life comes into you. And you are born again. You are brand new. And, and one thing that characterizes this Holy Spirit generated life is that you have hope. A living hope. In other words, uh, it's, it's more like the hope has you than you have the hope. Because the hope is alive. The hope is like a person. Like this strong and beautiful and wonderful person who speaks to you when you're falling apart. And who thinks about you. And who talks to you. And who corrects you when you're in despair. And you say... You know, life is falling apart. The whole culture is going to pieces. All hope is lost. I'll never be happy again. And then hope comes and says to you, verse 4, no, you have an imperishable inheritance. Everything is not falling apart. All hope is not lost. The best is always yet to come for a believer. In verse 4, Peter spells that out. It is an imperishable inheritance. It is an unfading Inheritance, and it is an inheritance that is kept in heaven. Now, people sometimes like will say that heaven is a state of mind. Um, it's like some something that you know you you kind of this vague, optimistic thing that you maybe one day will occur. Like it's mostly up here. But when when Peter calls it an inheritance, an inheritance is is real. An inheritance is serious. People hire lawyers for an inheritance. Um, dividing up a family fortune is a very big deal. I have seen uh, firsthand brothers and sisters lose relationship with each other because of an inheritance battle. So when Peter calls this an inheritance, he's talking about something very real, uh, even more real than a family breaking up the fortune. If you saw the movie Knives Out, uh, the whole premise is this family fighting over this massive fortune that their dad has and willing to kill each other for that willing to kill each other. And, and Peter says this is a different kind of inheritance. This inheritance is not one that needs to be divided up. It is not one that can be lost. It is imperishable. It is unfading. And it is kept for you, each one of you individually, personally, kept for you in heaven. It is there. And it is as real as any money that you would inherit from anyone in your life. Hebrews 6.10 says this, and this is from Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message. Hebrews says, if you believe that a great and glorious goodness is coming to you, not a vague heaven, but right here on earth, right here on earth, 
then you would have a hope that would see you through anything. If you believed in this amazing, great, and glorious goodness that is coming, that is on the horizon, not in some kind of vague heaven, but right here on earth, if you believe that, you would have a hope that would see you through anything. And, you know, I am not optimistic about America. Um, I am not optimistic about how polarized we are, how lonely, how disconnected, how addicted to phones. You know, our, our, our debt and our GDP are pretty much equal now. So that's, that doesn't bode well for us economically in the future. And I'm not even optimistic about planet Earth. Planet Earth is in bad shape. We have polluted this planet to the extent that the ice caps are melting, the sea levels are rising, there are going to be water shortages. So I'm not optimistic about America. I'm not optimistic about planet Earth. But what I do have absolutely certain hope in is that the universe is going to be restored and everything will be made new. And that's not because of any data I have in front of me, but because Peter says that. Peter says there, there is an inheritance that is kept for you in heaven that is unfading. Unfading inheritance. A great and glorious goodness is coming. In Acts chapter 3, verse 21, Peter calls it, this is my favorite phrase for heaven, the restoration of all things. The restoration of all things. In fact, I don't personally like to use the word heaven. I would encourage you as much as possible to shift your vocabulary from heaven to the restoration of all things. I think that makes a big difference in the way you see things after death. Our hope is not just someplace in the sky. It is this world, this lawn, these trees, your animals, your bodies, all of it being restored. The restoration of all things. Uh, the, the scholar Tom Wright says, we will not leave the earth to go to an ethereal heaven. The earth you love, all your special places, all of your memories will be restored and given back to you forever. And that is the biblical hope. That's not just a scholarly thesis. That's what the Bible says. And so my favorite places on earth, okay, Glencoe, Scotland. I mentioned that last week. Chalk Farm, London. Polly's Island, South Carolina. Waite Chapel. Lake Junaluska. Sherwood Pool. All those things, all the memories are going to be restored. And everything sad about those things is going to be redeemed. Every memory that's too hard to go back into is going to be redeemed. Because it says in Revelation 25, he, Revelation 21.5, he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. All things are being made new. They're being renewed. And that's even the worst things. Even the very worst things in your life, in fact, especially the worst things, are going to be the occasions for the greatest glory. That's why Peter says, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. It cannot be even expressed in words. And it is a joy that is filled with glory. Uh, my counselor, who I've started seeing, recommend counseling, okay? My counselor says, the darkest parts of your story will not be forgotten. They will not be brushed over. They will not be whitewashed. They will be redeemed to the extent that the very places where you think are the worst thing that's ever happened to you, that will be the most glorious part of your story. That's amazing. And I believe that's true because I, I see that, I see that in, in, the, in the cross of Christ, right? I mean, this is, this is what the gospel is. This is not just a, a pet theory of my counselor. This is the gospel, that there's no amount of darkness that could ever crush our hope. Because in fact, the greatest darkness ever to happen, the cross of Christ, is the foundation of our greatest hope. 
It's a crazy analogy, but I think about monster trucks just rolling over all these crushed cars beneath the wheels and like completely unstoppable. And all this, this terrible, horrible, crushed up metal is the foundation for the strength of that truck to move forward. And so we bring an unstoppable monster truck hope into the world that nothing, nothing can stop. It will just roll over anything, which brings us back to the very beginning of the sermon, which is the idea that we are elect exiles chosen by God to fill the world with hope. That's what we're here for, to give people hope. In the Lord of the Rings, the, uh, at the very end, all, all these terrible things have happened. And uh, Sam Gamgee, who's, I think, the hero of the whole thing. I've heard that Tolkien said that too. Sam Gamgee uh, is a hobbit, and he asks Gandalf, he says, Gandalf, has everything sad become untrue? And I don't know what Gandalf said. I can't remember what he said, but I know that Jesus would say to Sam Gamgee, absolutely, yes, 100% guaranteed, because I am making all things new. And he goes on to say in Revelation 21, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Because Jesus traveled back into all of the most horrible things that have ever happened. All the most twisted things that have ever occurred. Death and mourning and crying and pain and sleepless nights and trembling. And he went into those things and he straightened it all out. As he himself was twisted on the cross. And that's what we celebrate at this table that we're going to come to now. Uh, this table says that the worst thing, again, I repeat myself, it's so great that you can't say it too often, but the, the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world that when God became incarnate, uh, the human race, instead of worshiping that God, this God who came as a human, Jesus Christ, he was healing people, he was teaching people the Sermon on the Mount, he was doing beautiful things, he was loving everyone, he was welcoming everyone, he was creating this gorgeous body of people, treating women with respect, treating immigrants with respect, like stuff that no one had ever done before. And what does the human race do to Jesus? We, we crucify him. We put him on a tree and we say, we hate you. We don't want anything to do with that. And, and God takes that event and he says, I'm going to turn that into gold. And I'm going to feed you with that, with the death of my son. Uh, the very Jesus who you crucified, according to the, the plan of God, uh, God has made the Lord of the so we're going to come to this table now. We believe there's power in the table. We believe that the bread and the wine actually communicate the presence of Christ. We don't think it's just a symbol. Uh, we believe that you actually find healing. And I would say, especially if you bring your pain here, especially when you bring the darkness, instead of trying to forget memories, instead of suppress memories and saying that didn't really happen, uh, bring the darkness to this table. And that's where you're going to...